Hey guys, it's Kelly, and I want to welcome you back to the Unbroken Podcast. So there's been a lot of things going on in my life lately. Some good, some bad, some kind of confusing stuff. And gotta be honest, it's been hard to cope with some things. My mind seems to get away from me a lot. And it's been going back to my past. And I was thinking a lot about how when things got, I don't even know the word tough, I guess, for me, for someone in my family, just kind of the way that I was taught how to handle things. And I'm talking about the way my family was, like not like the trafficking, but just the mental and psychological abuse aspect of it because it's really there with almost every single family member that I know and it kind of like it is a generational thing and having to break that cycle and try to do things differently but you can't exactly break a cycle if you don't see it. And it's kind of just been clouding my mind, clouding my thoughts for the past weeks, months, maybe even. So I did some diving into how my family handled things. So I remember a time I was still married to my ex-husband, I believe it was like 2005, 2006, and we had bought a house. Um, It was just a few houses down from one of my father's sisters, and this, this particular time was when I did find out that I was not the first victim, but the reasoning why was disgusting it wasn't because somebody wanted me to know just so I would know that what was happening to me was wrong it was revenge and that is a huge thing in my family they're very vindictive people if you cross them they will come after you and they will make sure that you hurt worse than you could ever imagine So at this particular time, um, I don't remember why my father did this, but he worked with CPS and his sister to have my cousin's daughter taken from her. She originally was placed with her sister, um, my cousin's sister, so her aunt, and then she was later granted custody to my dad's sister, my aunt. And there was just a lot of chaos in the family, a lot of chaos among the cousins, among the aunts and uncles, like one person was on this side, but you couldn't talk to that side. Like it it was just like so much chaos. I don't even feel like chaos is a strong enough word, but I'm not really good with words, so it's the best I've got. But that was that was what they did. If you crossed them and you pissed them off, they would call CPS on you and have your kids taken. 
It happened to me a lot after I escaped, though I never did lose my kids to CPS, but something happened, not quite sure what, and it's not like I have the type of family where I can just pick up the phone and call this cousin and see what it was all about. I know the stories that I was told, but I don't exactly trust those either. Not even enough to repeat them. Well, anyway, so my father and his sister got into a fight and she called the police to try to have charges pressed against him. But as always, no charges ever got pressed. And it wasn't enough for her to just have the police come out and not have anything happen. There needed to be results. So she got a restraining order because that was what her only option was. Now, she told me one story and he told me another. And I'm sure the truth is mixed in the middle somewhere. But what I do know is she came out in this restraining order and talked about all the things that he did to her when they were young. Um, high school age, I think it was. And she got granted the restraining order over things that had happened three, four decades ago. So my um, my father summoned me, I think is the best way to put it, over to his house because since I lived so close to her and the only way to get to my house was to drive past hers, he no longer could come over, which was a blessing and I felt relief when I found that out but I wasn't exactly sure what that relief was coming from or why I felt that um but I went to his house and he sat me down at his kitchen table and just started reading and I will spare you the details because the details made my stomach turn and I felt sick like, I just wanted to vomit everywhere. And I can remember begging him to stop, that I didn't want to hear these things because that image would just be permanently ingrained in my head. And even, like, now, so many years later talking about it, recording right now, I can still, ha I still have those images. And it was horrible. I felt all these rush of emotions and so many different things that I didn't understand why I was feeling them. I had no idea why I felt so dirty. I literally went home and took a shower, probably multiple showers. And I have been working with my therapist about potentially have being sexually assaulted as a child and molested, I didn't really have any memories. I didn't know that it was normal not to have memories until my therapist told me so. So I was working through it with my therapist and already had that kind of suspicion that there was something about my childhood that I wasn't remembering and for very good reason. 
I got home, told my ex-husband what was going on. I think I just chalked it off as like, oh, just family drama. And I called this aunt, my dad's sister, that had made these accusations. I don't remember the entire conversation, but I do remember asking her why she never told me why I never knew about any of this. And I can remember having a conversation with my ex-husband after I had talked to her about it and told her that I think he has done stuff to me, at least my therapist had. And I was talking with my ex-husband and I'm just like, you would think I'm a girl and he had done this to his sister's among others, why no one would check on me, why no one would talk to me about it, why no one would tell me, you know, and it was just a very stressful and confusing time. There was something, I mean, my father like wrote an email to my grandfather and something I don't remember exactly everything because I don't think I actually read them. But um, when we got to the court for the hearing and I was asked to come to talk to the judge to beg the judge to give my father permission to drive past her house only if she was coming to mine. But as soon as we walked into the courthouse, um, the the police or guards or whomever said that there was a warrant for my father's arrest and that he would be taken right from the court hearing. So he told me to go and find my grandfather and ask him what was going on. And my grandfather lied. He lied straight to my face and said he had absolutely no idea what was going on. Um, I just wanted to know it wasn't any other reason. Well, long story short, um, my father was arrested for violating the restraining order. And everything just went crazy from there. Um, He ended up what they call gray lining the order. So he was not convicted Um, didn't really serve any time, was out of jail like that day. But um, it was something like my grandfather told him to stop the nonsense, and he said the only way this will stop is if so-and-so stops and drops the restraining order. It is. It's a thin line, and it sucks because I've I've learned over the past 13 and a half years that he knows how to skim that line very, very well. But it wasn't very long after that that me and my ex-husband split up and a whole bunch of other stuff happened, and eventually I escaped. So the weekend that I escaped, I had reached out to this sister of his and my mother's youngest sister because her story came out at that time as well, and it was just this huge thing everybody was on their side or they were against them and the few years in between when that all went down and when I escaped was it was just crazy 
And it was like, it all of a sudden, like, put a target on my back, so to speak. Like, I was just this servant to the family. One time, it was Easter Sunday, and I was told that I had to drive my other aunt home. And I was on AOL Instant Messenger video chatting with a friend that was in Iraq. And I didn't want to get off. I mean, it's very rare that when troops are deployed that they have time to just sit and video chat. I got a lot of shit for that. And I looked out my bedroom window because it was facing, you know, the front yard. Four people would have had to have moved their cars so I could get mine out in order to drive her home. But it was just something that day. I just, I put my foot down. It wasn't happening. I wasn't going to do it. And I, I felt the wrath. And the punishment was quite severe. Uh, we'll just leave it at that. But um, that was like just an example of the things that happened. I, there was another time I was supposed to go and take my cousin to get a book that was being released. And I was at a friend's house that was over an hour away. I, call, I can remember calling and telling him, listen, you know, I've already talked to Barnes & Noble. They have it on hold. I already paid for it. Uh, you don't have to pay me back. Like, I'm so sorry. This is taking so much longer than I thought. But I'll be there first thing in the morning to pick the book up and bring it to you. And I got in a lot of trouble for that. I was hated for that. It was to the point where, like, three years later, after I had escaped, after I had remarried, his cousin or his sister, my cousin's sister, screamed at me for it. And I'm just like, literally, it was that freaking long ago. And you're still bringing it up. Like, that'll just tell you how much of a grudge my family holds. But I was just expected to do anything and everything the family wanted at that moment. And I had no choice, which was exactly how my family was. But I don't know why in these few years I felt it so much deeper and harder than I ever had. And... I think this was kind of like at the time that my family really split and you were forced to take sides. So after the escape, there was a rumor that was thrown around to my entire family by my father, and it made its way back to me. And something along the lines that I was making false allegations about my cousin, which was not even true, and was a direct violation of the restraining order that I had. I was out of the shelter at this point and in transitional living. But um, the aunt that my father called and spoke to lied to the police about the time and the date. She claimed she had written it on the calendar when he had called. And I mean, this was like over a month later. Like, who does that? I mean, honestly, who writes, so-and-so called me at this time, and it lasted, like, I mean, it was bullshit. She just didn't want to get involved, and that's the story of my family. 
is I don't want to get involved. And I hated that about them. I hated that they only cared about themselves and never cared about anybody else. It was never about what was best for the victim. It was about what was best for them. So I had started reaching out to the two sisters that had now come out and separated themselves from my parents because of all the things that happened when they were children. And it was the first weekend I was at the shelter. Um, I wasn't answering my parents' phone calls. I was just trying to keep as much peace in my life as I could for as long as I could. I thought the day I escaped that it was all over, and that was pretty naive because it's still not over. And it's been 13 and a half years. But my brother had called and said he wanted me, you know, to talk to my father. And because he's like looking for me, bugging everybody, yada, yada. So I did finally call him. I want to say it was like the following Monday. Could have been Sunday. I don't know. But he was like, I heard that you're in touch with so-and-so. There's going to be consequences to your actions. And I was like, what are you going to do? I left. We're never coming back. And that was just the start of everything. But that particular aunt had talked to me a lot throughout the first, I mean, throughout the first few years since my escape. And I thought I could trust her. I thought she was like me, was a victim, and we could lean on each other, both of my aunts. And it turned out to be very different. But there was one conversation that we had where she had admitted to witnessing a sexual assault on a young child. I'm not going to say who that child was, but she had told me about it and said that ever since that day, she regretted not telling anyone that it was a trauma response and every excuse to make herself sound better but looking at it now she only told me for revenge it wasn't about that she wanted to get this off of her chest that she wanted people to know about it so we could hold my father accountable for what he did she did it to get me to hate my father and to be on her side it was a very weird mentality in my family like you're either on my side or you're not, but that's what they would do. They never talked about it. They never talked about anything bad about anyone unless they needed it for leverage. So throughout the last few years that I was with them, going further into my, you know, after I escaped in my life and recovering, I mean, even into maybe just five or six years ago, that's what it was with my family, was all about getting revenge. And they would say anything they could, as long as it got you to hate someone. And I coped with that, but it's like, I'm not like a vindictive person. I don't really hold a grudge. 
Um, I am like the type like, you know, fool me once, shame on you. I will cut someone out of my life if they are toxic and not think twice about it. But it's it's a real toxicity that I do that. It's either someone jeopardizing my safety or jeopardizing the trust that I have with them and things like that, like legit reasons that you would cut someone out of your life. Um, but see, that's not how my family is. They cut people out when it benefits them and to benefit them and essentially to prove a point to the rest of the family. I don't know how you recover from that when that's what you have had and what your normal was your entire life. And that was what it was for me. I never knew about all of the things that happened. I was sheltered from it. And I'm, I'm talking about the family. I never knew when this person was fighting that person or, you know, whatever. And then after I had escaped and tried to reach out to the family that I had quote unquote lost, or so I thought, they weren't exactly willing to tell me everything. But they would, however, tell me things that had directly impacted their life. I would be told about a time where my father had robbed one of his sisters or had hit one of my sisters or one of his sisters. And they would keep the details minimal. They wouldn't tell anything about it. And for the longest time, I thought that they thought it was all a ruse, that I hadn't escaped and that it was just a way for me to spy. And it's like, at the time thinking that, it felt so normal that that's what people would think. But how crazy is that? Like, how insane is it that my first thought to my aunts not telling me the truth was because they thought that I was faking escaping, faking restraining orders, faking all of these things just to spy on them for my father. And that has to come from somewhere. And it comes from the family because that's what my family does. They send spies and they send their kids or someone to go and talk to the other person to try and get access to their Facebook and access to other social media and get to know the, the quote-unquote lies that they're talking about. That is a fucked-up family dynamic if I ever heard one. You've got trafficking. You've got spies. You've got all of this crazy stuff. And it was normal for so long for me. And I realize now how very not normal all of that was and how very not normal my entire childhood was. But how do you undo 26 years when you have a certain mindset and a certain pattern of thoughts, I guess, for 26 years? How do you undo them? And it's been difficult. I have been working with my amazing therapist about it. I, I mean, it hurts me to say that I, I even see some of those thought patterns in my own kids. Um, not so much anymore because they don't really have contact with my family. But 
It's like, I know that today, if I talked to one of my family members and I talked about something, it would be, well, I don't want to get involved. I just, oh, what did my aunt, my aunt say? It was, I don't bother your parents and they don't bother me and I'm okay with that. It doesn't matter that she knows every single thing that they did. She knows what they did to me. She knows what they did to others. Just as long as they don't bother her, she's okay. And she's fine with that. She even had the audacity to continuously wish me happy birthdays and happy anniversaries and Merry Christmases every single year as if that somehow absolved her of being this shitty person. Those emails stopped. Finally. It was a huge relief when they stopped. And I didn't know that it was going to be a relief until it happened. I mean, I didn't even know a lot of these emails existed because it was on an email account that I haven't used since before I escaped. So I didn't even know they were coming unless there was a reason to go in and look at that email account. Um, but it's just, that's that's the craziness that is my family. And... I was looking through that email account. I found tons of emails from my mom's sister. And one really stuck out to me. She had written an email to my mother about the things that were done to her. And the part that stuck out to me the most was at the very end, she said something to the effect of, think about Kelly and if she had come to you or comes to you and says that these things happened to her, how would you act? How would it make you feel? Things like that. This was, in, like I said, like 2005, 2006. And reading it today, I realized that she wouldn't care because she was doing it. But I don't understand because I know that with PTSD and with trauma survivors, there's a lot of hypervigilance. And I experienced that very intensely when I first escaped. I still experience it now. Um, my debit card number got stolen and my mind went first to, okay, my parents did it and they're fucking with me. But I don't understand the disconnect with that statement that she made to my mother, why did it never cross her mind that it actually did happen to me? Why did she never ask? And I think about the relationship with this aunt. And she had stayed with me and my brothers once while my parents were on some fancy vacation. And she taught me how to look up the search history on... Um, the computer and found that there were was someone googling or I don't even know if Google was then it was AOL but looking up porn sites and immediately I thought it was my brothers that we were all teenagers at the time um, you know so it just it didn't seem weird to me it should have and the adult me knows that, but the child me, it didn't, it didn't feel weird to me. I just automatically assumed 
it was my brother's, but I can't help but wonder now if I had clicked on any of those sites, what I may have found, because the stories that I heard was it didn't stop. It still continued even after I was an adult, um, well, close to adulthood. And there was so many things that this aunt had shared with me. But I can remember one time, I don't know where we were going, but I know we got onto the highway and we were driving my father's car and I was smoking cigarettes because she knew that I smoked and let me. But it was like she would tell me just what I like the little bit that she wanted me to know. And I, I relate to that. I get that. I share about my story, what I want people to know. I don't share everything. But that whole Google, that whole like internet search thing, it, it's haunting me. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I can picture every single detail of how she taught me how to look that up. And I can't help but wonder if it wasn't to catch a brother in the act or to catch a parent in the act. The way that our formal living room was set up is that's where the computer was. So I can't imagine that a teenage boy would be looking at that stuff in the middle of the house, right by the front door where anyone could walk by, like the stairs were right there and everything. So just one of the many unknown answers that I will never be able to get in or question that I'll never be able to get an answer to because my family wants to make sure that the secret dies and that I don't share I'm almost 100% certain that my social media has been found, that this podcast has been found, and that plays a part in why they've completely disowned me, but I don't care. (laughs) I don't. It's a quote I've heard a long time ago that stands true today. I will not stay silent so you can stay comfortable. And I don't view sharing my story as revenge as being vindictive I don't think about it when I do and I don't know if my family has convinced themselves that I'm just quote-unquote making it all up to just get even I don't even care but there's a lot of things that are very difficult to overcome and I think that's why We need to kind of start a conversation about how healing and recovery from all of this is not one size fits all. I have a friend that her experience is very different and she's going to do things that help her that might not help me and vice versa. But when it comes to familial trafficking it is a whole different ball game. I didn't have a family with open arms welcoming me after I had been gone for however many years, and I'm safe now. I escaped one nightmare of being trafficked and entered into another nightmare of 
a vengeful, vindictive family that wanted to use me as a pawn in a game that they had been playing for years. I, I don't like to say that I hate people, but I hate my family, extended family and all. I don't understand a lot of things, and I wish I had someone. And I even found out recently that my mother's father is still alive. And I was told over 10 years ago that he had passed away. I have a way to reach him, but I'm too terrified to try because he stopped talking to us in the late 90s, and I'm scared to know why. But... I have to work on that and I have to push through these fears, figure out why they're there, figure out if it's because I know more things than I'm actually remembering. And it's just a lot and it's a lot to process. And then sharing my story for the whole world to hear makes it so much more difficult to process these things. And I think that's why I'm taking a lot of time in between episodes when I record or even posting uh, videos on TikTok because I just, there's so much time that I need to decompress in between and just process it all. I'm okay almost every day, but there's still a hurt child inside of me that doesn't even know where to begin to start healing. That child knows they're safe, knows that the danger is far away, but they don't know they don't know how to move past it. And there's a lot of things about my life that I don't know how to move past and how do you move past things that you can't even remember? How do you move past things that don't make sense? How do you make sense of crazy? Because at the end of the day, there's a lot of narcissists and a lot of psychopaths in my family. I am better off without them. And I am thankful that I got away and lead a semi-functioning life. I am so thankful that I don't have to be a part of this game. I mean, think about it. They only use the sexual assault of a child as a weapon. They don't care about kids. They didn't care about what may or may not have happened to any of the kids in my family. They just wanted to know about it. So that way when something happened, they could use it against the person that they were mad at. And I know that I've said my parents have called or had called CPS, oh gosh, over 30 times in the the months after I escaped. But the honest to God truth is it could have been anyone in my family. I don't get that. I don't get it. And I wish it made sense and I wish I could figure it out. But It's just one of those things that I'll have to put on my to-do list (laughs) and work with my therapist. But I am exhausted. I've had so much going on with the passing of my service dog and now trying to train a new one and 
fighting the urge to call my brother and tell him that my dog died, fighting the urge to call certain people and wish them a happy new year. Um, it's hard. And how do you grieve someone that is still alive that, you know, there's just this little thing, this little voice whispering in the back of my mind that says that maybe they'll come around. You made it out. Maybe they'll make it out too. Because every person in my family is a victim. Even my father and my mother is a victim in some weird, disgusting fashion. They're all victims of each other. And it's just a very toxic thing. So if y'all did find my podcast and you're listening, get help. (laughs) That's not normal. The way y'all behave is not normal. And you have destroyed me, but I'm not going to let it define me. And if my parents are listening, the same goes to you. You did anything and everything that you could to make sure that I was your perfect little victim. And I know that it pains you every day that I'm not, but you don't define me. Nothing that happened to me defines me. I am not the people that did these things to me. I am not what happened to me. I am the girl that fought so hard to be able to live a life she wasn't supposed to live. I am a survivor. So I'm going to leave you there tonight. And I hope everyone has a wonderful night. And thank you so much for the continued love and support. It really does mean more than you could ever know because it's genuine. That support is not something I'm used to. I'm not used to people supporting me just for the fact of supporting me. I'm used to people supporting me so they can get revenge on another person. It's a really wild thing to think about. But it is much appreciated. I love y'all. And I will talk with y'all soon. Have a good one.